Well, it was about 12 years ago, a little less, less than that, we heard the words, it's a girl. Uh, when Brooke and I heard those words from the doctor who delivered Katie instead of Ben, <laughs> Uh, our hearts rejoiced. Uh, eight plus months of pregnancy, eight hours of labor, but with that pronouncement of that doctor, we had a beautiful baby girl, and we were thankful. She was the only one of our four children that we waited until the delivery to to learn the, the gender, so that was very exciting for us. But not just baby girls, but all babies, right out of the womb, they're they're very dependent little creatures. They, they are helpless in, in and of themselves. They do nothing for themselves. They require constant care and attention. Uh, their, their life basically consists of just food and warmth. Uh, it, and it's an existence. They can, can do nothing to provide for themselves. They're dependent on others to provide those most basic necessities. They, they must be diapered and clothed and fed and wrapped in blankets and changed and bathed and changed again and and on and on. Everything has to be done for them. Now, thankfully, as they grow older, they become uh, less dependent and more responsible. At least that's always our hope. Um, But even then, these same same basics of life, food and covering, clothing, remain their primary needs throughout their lives, and they are for all of us. This is why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 8, with food and covering, you should be content. But those are the basics of, of physical life. Well, in the first century A.D., there were spiritual labor pains being felt. Jesus, the Messiah, was foretold, and he was born, then he was baptized, and he was tempted. He lived, he died. He lived, he healed, he taught, he died, he rose again, he returned to the Father. And so these these contractions, they come with increasing intensity and frequency. And, 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 the, and the moment of delivery is, is soon at hand. We can, we can almost can sense that. And so in these first two chapters of Acts that we've been looking at the last few weeks, last several weeks, we're in the delivery room now witnessing this birthing process. The final... Powerful contractions come, the giving of the Holy Spirit, the, the miracle of tongues, the curious crowds of people, the, the, the boldness of the disciples. And so Peter preaches his first sermon, we looked at this last week, and God uses it to cut the hearts of all that heard this message, this appeal. And then the great physician speaks these much anticipated words, it's a church, it's a church. Verse 41 again. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so this new living spiritual body is born. Uh, not, not twins, not septuplets, but 3,000 spiritual babies. Add to this the 120 plus disciples in the upper room and other disciples of Jesus around in that city and in that area. And so you have these, these few thousand new believers, spirit-baptized believers. And who are the caregivers for these new, new baby believers? You have the apostles, 12 of them. 
3,000 shepherding responsibilities of these 12 men. Kent Hughes said it like this, uh, describing this scene. Though those newly born again believers were 3,000 bundles of joy and 3,000 accidents waiting to happen. And so what, what were those primary needs for, for this newborn body? What, what was it that would keep her alive? What was it that they, that they needed to grow and to be healthy? What, what kind of spiritual pediatrics were necessary for this new body to mature? And you see it in verse 42. The very first thing, it's just instinctual almost, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Those were the most basic activities that would sustain them and grow them and protect them. This was this short list of priorities. It was their food and clothing with which they should be content. This was the, this was the basic necessities of the early church. And so they devoted themselves to these things, the text says. These new Christians devoted themselves to Christ and to His body and to, the, to the, their involvement with, with the body of Christ. And so to see the purest and most basic form of the church, we look at its, most, at its youngest form, at the youngest church, before all the peripheral stuff came into play. And so the first century church, that first church, it had the basics. It had scripture and prayer and fellowship and, and, and worship and evangelism. And those things haven't changed. Those priorities, those basics haven't changed. Yes, we have other things. We have buildings and we have, uh, you know, uh, bulletins and we have uh, events and conferences and camps and retreats and, and teas and all these other things. But that, that, that And those things are good and those things are fine. But the problem can be when the peripheral things become central. When we elevate secondary things to a level of primary importance and then the primary things begin to get neglected. So that's what we need to be called back to as we look at this passage. It's not that we want to be just like the early church. No, because the early church had all kinds of problems and we can be thankful that the church has grown and matured and we have, we're in a much better position, but we have much to learn from that church in its most simplest and, 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 and basic form because it reminds us of those things that are most important for us. What are the things that we must devote ourselves to and remain devoted to as church? And here we see them. First thing is this. We must keep our ears tuned to God's voice. We must keep our ears tuned to God's voice. The first thing it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now when he says they devoted themselves, or you, you could translate that they, they were continually devoting themselves to. This is a present tense here. They, 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 but this devotion, it governs and it characterizes all of those distinguishing marks of the church that we see in this verse. And, and it just means single, single-minded commitment. They were continually committed to devoting themselves to all of these things. What does it mean then practically to devote yourself to church? Does that mean that we just quit our jobs, sell all our, all our belongings, you know, build some fence around this whole property and we kind of all come in here and live together and, and, and just be this self-sufficient community and we never have to leave. We just, is one long worship service, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Is that what it means to be devoted to the church? I don't think so. Uh, we just... Put this over in other relationships. If I, am, if I am devoted to Brooke as my wife, does that mean that I spend every waking moment with her? 
and maybe sleeping moment with her. Right by her side. She's just shuddering over there. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course not. Would you, would you question my devotion to Brooke because Taylor and I went out and had lunch uh, this week? And you say, no, you're supposed to spend every, you're supposed to eat every single meal every day with your wife. What, you, you're clearly you're not devoted to Brooke. No, that's not it. But, but my devotion to her does affect everything in my life. And it's, and it's shaped by that. And it does mean that I give myself to her in many, many different ways. And I'm faithful to her. And, and that's marked faithfulness to her even when I'm having lunch with other people. Or even when I'm not present with her. It, it characterizes. And, and, and think in that way. So being devoted to the apostles' teaching doesn't mean that all we do every day is, is study the Bible and read the Bible. And say, no, 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 can't talk. Reading the Bible. That's what I'm devoted to. And... And when I'm not reading it, I'm listening to sermons. And when I'm not doing those things, I'm teaching. And No, that's not it. Being devoted to prayer doesn't mean we literally pray without ceasing. And we're just constantly speaking under our breath. But it does mean that these priorities give this distinct definition to our lives. They shape us and they, they define who we are and what we're about. These will, these will be distinguishing marks of our church. They should be. And so you get an illustration of what it means to be devoted to something. In Mark chapter 3, verse 9, and this is just in a physical sense, but the, the, the crowds, they're going, out to, they're going after Jesus to find him. He's been healing people, and they hear of this wonder worker, this miracle worker. And so all these crowds go out, and they want to see Jesus, and they want to hear from him. And so in Mark 3, 9, he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him at what, what, what's translated there, being ready for him, is the same word that we're talking about in Acts 2.42, being devoted to him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. So this boat was devoted to Jesus. As Jesus is on the shore teaching, this boat is just off of the shore in the water. And if Jesus walks uh, down the shore this way to teach, the boat just moves up the shore. If Jesus goes back this way, the boat just is kind of shadowing him. And so wherever Jesus goes, the boat goes. That's, that's the idea. So if the crowds crush in, he can hop in the boat. You don't have to wait. Come on, guys. It's not that kind of thing. No, the boat is devoted to him. It's ready for him. And that's the idea, to be devoted to the church. It's not to measure your uh, devotion by some quantitative standard and we make up this little formula. But it does mean something. It, it, means, that, it means that you're standing ready for the church. If the body moves, you move. If the body meets, you meet. If the body serves, you serve. If the body prays, you pray. If the body worships, you worship. That's the idea here. This is what the early church did. Clearly, they gave themselves fully to the body. And their first priority, the first thing that they devoted themselves to was, was to food, like any newborn. I want to eat. And boy, did they feast. They feasted on the apostles' teaching, the text says. This was their diet. 3,000 plus hungry mouths to feed. And, and you have these 12 apostles. I can just imagine how tired, dead dog tired those apostles were when they were going to finally put their head on a pillow at night. Just laboring and teaching day and night. And, and, and these, these new disciples, hungry, hungry disciples, learning from them. What are they, what are they teaching? Are they teaching Romans and the Gospels and Acts? No, that, no that's written yet. They're... they're they're, they're explaining the Old Testament Scriptures in light of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And they're telling about the things that they witnessed, things they heard Jesus teach, and, 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 and that upper room discourse, and the Sermon on the Mount, and things they saw him do, and, and, and talking about his life and ministry. And so these, these early Christians, they just can't get enough of this instruction. They're, they're devoting themselves to it. They're hungry for God's Word. That's what happens when the Spirit, uh, spirit uh, indwells and fills believers. So there's this love for the Scriptures that grows. Some people want to pit the Holy Spirit in opposition somehow as a competitor to the Scriptures, and that's just not the case at all. A burning, there, there should be this burning desire to hear God's voice in His Word. And so this is the same thing for us, Christians and churches. We need a consistent consistent meals of truth if we're going to grow and be healthy. A reduced truth diet, it will always mean that we become, our development will be slow and will be weak and sickly. And so may we as a church never water down our devotion to the Scriptures. I don't, we're not to be about just proclaiming little kind of Bible trivia factoids, and we're not just here to proclaim just kind of doctrinal cliches, but we want to proclaim and, and believe and study and give ourselves to God's Word, to what He's taught, to the Apostles' teaching, what the Scriptures have to say about Jesus. We want to, we want to know Christ and His excellencies in, in the Word. That's what we need to be devoting ourselves to, not just, not just to hearing it even, but being devoted to it and being doers of it. That's the first thing. That's the first mark, devotion to God's Word. We, we've got to keep our ears tuned to God's voice in the Scriptures. That's where we have the apostolic teaching laid out for us. Second, second priority for us, we must share life together. I, know I realize we've spent a lot of time on this uh, this past summer and the series that we did this, this summer, and so uh, I'll try to accelerate through this, but they devoted themselves to the fellowship. That, that's that word koinonia, uh, that many of you know, have heard of, fellowship. The, uh, the root idea of this is just a shared life. It's commonness. It's sharing. It, that's the idea of koinonia. The, the kind of fellowship, th- this kind of fellowship that we're talking about here did not exist until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. It's not just a natural like, oh, those people are just more inclined to being more community oriented. I mean, we can learn a lot from other cultures, but that's not biblical fellowship. This is something that only happens when the Spirit comes and it dwells his people. We have this commonality now. We have one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. So we are one, and now we need to manifest this oneness in how we practice fellowship. But, but it's, again, it's only through our identity with the Holy Spirit can we have this true fellowship. And, and, but, the, but the idea here in the early church, it, it, it has inherent in this word, it's, it's sharing. Sometimes it's used of sharing something with someone, some material uh, blessing and, and giving a gift or making a contribution or or uh, taking up an offering, a collection, that kind of a thing. Sometimes it's sharing in an experience with someone else. Sharing in suffering, sharing in joy. Uh, but it's always it's always that. It's a shared life. This is what the, it's to characterize the church. This is what that early church devoted themselves to, to this fellowship. The foundation of the early Christians' fellowship was not cookies and coffee, during a 30-minute break between, you know, worship and Sunday school. It was more than that. It was, it was giving and receiving and sharing life together, even belongings and possessions. We're, 
We're not natural sharers. <laughs> we don't like to share, and that's not an indictment on us alone, but that's just true for people. It's not just a toddler issue, though we see it in its very obvious and, and visible ways and with certain ages. But most of us tend to hoard and guard our possessions rather than hold loosely and give um, our things away to others in need. You see this priority, and we'll see this in some of these other priorities. They'll be amplified in the verses that follow here. Look down at verse 44. We read this a moment ago. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, I know, what in the world is going on here? What is, what is, what is happening? I, I would just... There's, let me word a caution, but I don't want to mute, I don't want to dull the point of this and the, 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 the edge here in this verse. Clearly the believers didn't sell everything they had because, because they still own houses, as we'll see. They, they broke bread in their homes, and just in a couple chapters we'll see Ananias and Sapphira. They, have, they own property, and so that's... But the point is this, is fellowship in the early church, it rested on mutual generosity and sharing. It costs something. In the church, and I, when I say it cost something, I don't mean that you're, they were all these grim people. It were just kind of like, oh, I just count the cost, and this is so hard being a Christian in this early church, and gotta gotta just oh, grudgingly give everything away. That's that was not it at all. There was marked joy and gladness, as we'll see. There was what, what anything that it cost, they got back a uh, hundredfold in what they received and the blessings that they received as being part of this fellowship. So it's not that, but the, but the point we need to see is that it's not just sentimental oneness. No, fellowship didn't happen, again, because they're all in the same room on the same occasion in the fellowship hall. Fellowship came through giving and receiving of material goods and sharing life together throughout the week. Until you learn to share generously with others, brothers and sisters in need, and Listen to the next part. Until you learn to humbly depend on others when you are in need, you will never really understand the true joys of Christian fellowship. I know some of us are thinking, yeah, I can, I can share with others. But when, when I'm in need, I say, I don't want any help. I don't want anybody to know. I'm just going to turn in and my, we'll figure this out as a family and we'll just gut our way through this and we'll... We'll just get and we'll just kind of shut the church off and withdraw until we figure this out. That's not shared life. You say, but no, I'll help others. I just don't want to be helped. That's we haven't known the joys of Christian fellowship if we can't put ourselves in both of those situations. Our commitment to the body must involve more than Sunday morning attendance if we're going to truly enjoy and know the kind of fellowship that God intends for us. So are, you, are, we, are we quick to give? Are we quick to share? Are we quick to ask? Are we to receive, to, to live shared lives? How open is your heart towards others? How open is your schedule? How open is your wallet? How open is your home? Are you regularly sharing meals? Just, just that, if nothing else, with, with other believers and sharing in that way. Are you generous? Are you generous through giving to the church? Are you generous through meeting physical needs of others? Are you humble enough to need the church? So, 
again, this is we've we've talked about this. I know a lot this summer, but we need we need to be devoted to lives shared together to increasingly see the church, as we said, this as part of our vision to see the church not just as an event we attend or a place we go, but as a family to whom we depend and uh, to whom we belong and on whom we depend. That's what we need to see. Third, third priority. We must make the Lord's Day worship a priority. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Third. Now what is the breaking of bread in this context? Is it just a meal together? Getting together for some hamburgers and hot dogs and having a cookout? Or is it communion? What we're going to celebrate today. I, there are different views on this. I, I think that it refers to the observance of the Lord's table. And I'll give you three reasons. Uh, one, it becomes it comes between these two religiously loaded worship words, fellowship and prayer, in verse 42. Second, there's this definite article, the, connected to the breaking of bread. It's not just any old breaking of bread, it's the breaking of bread. So that's the second reason. Third, in verse 46, you have two phrases. You have breaking bread, uh, they broke bread and they ate together. And they're purposely separated purposefully separated it seems so you have it seems two distinct meals it seems there was they had they had a fellowship meal sometimes you've heard this referred to as an agape feast which was just a just a meal together and a joy and 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 enjoy this this love feast among the brothers and sisters in christ and a good meal together and then they would take the remaining bread and wine and they would they would engage in a celebration of remembrance of christ and worship together at the table and so I think that's evidence to support that that's what he's talking about here. It's this breaking of bread, communion. So they continually devoted themselves to the Lord's table, to to that most basic and primitive primitive aspect of the church's corporate worship. One of the key marks of what we do as brothers and sisters in Christ and gathering together as we remember Christ together. Look look at the amplification of this simple statement down in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so, they're still part of temple worship in, this, in these early believers, that, that daily worship the temple, since the early Christians believed that they had this true relationship with God through the Messiah. It was natural for them to take part in that temple worship that temple worship was designed to point to the messiah and so they they didn't initially completely break with that again that this was this was what it meant to worship god in an accepted manner up to that point and now messiah has come and so things begin to change but so they would worship in the temple and then they would go and have their own worship gatherings afterwards and then when the after temple worship they dispersed to one another's homes and would share a meal together and would have would break bread together. This distinctly Christian response. And, and so, I just say, the Lord's table is to be a distinguishing mark of, of the church. It's where we remember Christ together, His broken body, His shed blood. And so, I know, so, so we, we, we want to do this regularly. Now, there's no, there's no clear teaching exactly how it's to be done and, and what type of bread and, and, and what's the sequence and all of that. We have, we have a lot of instruction in the in the word but and the frequency in those things so we have freedom to 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 do this in different ways and and i know some say well we shouldn't do it often because it will become just kind of ritualistic repetition leads to ritualism and i say no that's not really true 
I guess it could, but not inherently. I mean, we don't say that about prayer and scripture reading. They'll say, well, man, if I read my Bible every day, it's just going to become ritualistic. And so I probably should just do it a couple times a year, and it'll be special then. Uh, I mean, that's foolishness, and so it is with the table. The problem's not with frequency. The problem's with our own spiritual dullness. That's why we need the help of God's Spirit and sanctifying work of the Lord to to keep us keep our hearts engaged to be as we come to this table we ought to come fully engaged in the remembrance of Jesus Christ together all of our senses all of our uh, thought intellect uh, will uh, emotions everything is involved in worshiping Christ uh, at the table and so the we have we have the cup the bread these are these are these are worship tools for us there's nothing in here don't worry so i didn't trust myself not to hit the table and knock something out uh but the but these we we come and as we eat and we break bread these are these are tools for us to worship to remember jesus together not just privately we don't come we say this occasionally we're not just coming to worship the Lord privately with our bread and our cup and, and we what we want to do is shut everybody else out so i can worship jesus here no we do it corporately our eyes ought to be open. We ought to be looking around and seeing brothers and sisters tasting and crunching and, and drinking and, 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 and praying and, and singing and all the things that we do as we remember Christ together. This is something we participate in together. Jesus has given us these two very simple, common, frail, I mean, if, I don't have wine in here, but just, just simple, basic, everyday remembrances. These are the monuments to this grand, enormous, eternal, redemptive work that Jesus Christ has done. He didn't carve it out of marble. He didn't make it have an artisan make it out of brass and say, you keep these as a remembrance of me. He's, no, just bread, wine. This is, this remember me in these things. When you eat these things, drink these things together as worshipers. This is what we'll do in just a moment. Fourth, I've got to be quick. We must keep our prayer reflexes strong. They devoted themselves to the prayers. The, the, you see this other places in Scripture. We already saw this in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that the disciples gathered, gathered, gathered it together in that upper room, uh, devoting themselves to prayer. In Acts chapter 6, verse 4, the 12, they told the church, you need to, you need to appoint uh, some 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 men and to be servants in the church to make sure the widows don't get passed over in the in the distribution of food because our task is to vote, to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and to prayer. That's what we want to give ourselves to. What we need to give ourselves to. It's so important. Romans twelve twelve with all the church be constant in prayer. Colossians four two continue steadfastly in prayer. But here it's not just devote yourself to prayer, but devote yourself to the prayers. It's plural. Most think this, the, the idea here is the prayer meetings to those times. There are these specific times when the early church prayed together, prayer meetings. And they were to devote themselves to that. Prayer should be woven into the very fabric of everything we do as a church. That it, whenever, whenever, wherever the church meets, we, we pray. We, we must be devoted to prayer as a church, depending on the Lord, seeking His face, asking for His guidance and help, thanking Him, praising Him, all these things that we do, confessing our sin, and not just, not just alone, but praying together. I know I've read this quote from Spurgeon. I've read several quotes from different times on him, about, from him on prayer. But he, in, in Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London in his church, the, you, 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 we know about his preaching, but 
there are many biographers who've really noted how committed that church was to prayer meetings and to gathering to pray together. And one of the things Spurgeon said along these lines, the condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So is the prayer meeting a graceometer, and from it we may judge the amount of divine working among a people. If God be near a church, it must pray. And if he be not there, one of the first tokens of his absence will be slothfulness in prayer. So, early church, devoted to the prayers. May we be. Fifth, we must be expectant evangelists. Expectant evangelists. We must remain devoted to Christ's mission. Verse 47. This is more of an implicit point than an explicit one in the text here, but... Verse 47 says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The text doesn't say that they were all out witnessing in the streets. But we know that the way God saves people is through the gospel's proclamation. And so as these people believed and they're born again and they receive the Holy Spirit and they're filled with the Spirit, they they immediately begin speaking about Jesus Christ. And so if the Lord's saving people day by day, as verse 47 says, then it must have been because they're actively out there bearing witness to Jesus Christ where they live with their neighbors and their family members and the, and the shopkeepers and, and in the temple and with the priests and, and with the Roman soldiers. They're there. They're bearing witness to Christ. And day by day, people are being saved. And so this is This is the task to which we must devote ourselves. A task that's still unfinished, as we sang a moment ago. This is is what God has called us to. This is what what God has been about since before the foundation of the world. God is a missionary God. The Holy Spirit is a missionary spirit. Therefore, a spirit-filled church is going to be a missionary church. We're going to be be driven by this this disciple-making mission. See more and more people brought into the family. All right. A few concluding comments, and then we're going to worship at the table and devote ourselves to this aspect of our worship. Just some general statements in light of this passage. What do you think? And I mentioned some of these before. But the first thing I said just don't be a loner. Don't be a loner. I know that's. I'm not just talking about a personality type or something like that. Some are a little more uh, like to stay by themselves. That's not what I'm talking about. But every one of these priorities is corporate in nature. I know we, we look at a passage like this, okay, I need to be more devoted personally in, in Scripture reading and in prayer and and in uh, and, and worship and, and evangelism. I need to do better. No, it's, it's just, the app- application is to you as individuals, but it's primarily to us as a body. This is what, what we need. We're, we're to be devoted to these things together. And so we, we have to be together and we have to be drawn together to, to devote ourselves to these things. So, so for the good of your soul and the gladness of your heart, go deeper in your devotion to the local church. Anne Ortland, uh, she wrote a book, uh, Up With Worship, back in the 70s. And I've heard this quoted many times. I, I, I didn't realize she was the one who wrote this about fellowship Um, But she says this, every congregation has a choice to be one of two things. You can choose to be a bag of marbles, single units that don't affect each other except in collision. Um, On Sunday morning, you can choose to go to church or to sleep in. Who really cares whether there are 192 or 193 marbles in a bag? still have a bag of marbles. 
Or you can choose to be a bag of grapes. The juices begin to mingle and it's shaken up and the, there's no way then to extricate yourselves if you tried. Each is a part of all. The juices get all mixed up together. And I would just say, let's resolve as a church to be a mushy bag of grapes, not a bag of marbles where we just kind of insert ourselves, pull ourselves out and kind of bounce around in the same room once a week. That's not the vision that Christ has for his church. Second, strive for balance. You have this balance in the early church. You have formal and informal priorities. You have, and they're in the temple, they're in homes. You have vertical prayer and you have horizontal fellowship. You have verbal instruction and, and, and multi-sensory remembrance and worship at the table where your taste buds are engaged. And so, so just think, if these four priorities, or five you could say, are, are kind of corners of a house or legs of a table, you don't want to overload one to the neglect of the other. This is what I mean in terms of balance. We need to balance this in our lives personally and as, and as a body. Not only teaching to the neglect of prayer and vice versa. Not only fellowship but no teaching. Not only worship but no instruction. So that's what I mean. Third, avoid the pie life. Pie life is where we, we want to divide our lives up into these nice neat uh, sections and little slices of life and and so God, God has the biggest piece of my life. He's got this, you know, half of the pie, and, and then my family's got the next biggest piece, and then, you know, work, and we just kind of go around, and this is, this is my life. No, that's not it. Or, or we sometimes hear God first, family second, others third, you know, me last. And that all sounds good and noble, and I understand what you're, what, you know, what you're trying to get to, and you're trying to make sure that God is preeminent in your life. But it's really not the best way to think. Um, you look at the early church here, and, and they're completely and continually devoted to Christ and His body. The whole, the whole pie is Christ and His people. And it, and, and, and it infuses every aspect of their lives. They don't keep any part that God is kind of not is out of. No, He is through it all. And that's, that's, what we need to, that's how we need to think. So don't, don't section your life off. So, so this means that the way that we work will be greatly impacted by the priority of Christ and his body. And the way that we do home life and the way that we go to school. Everything's affected and fused with this priority of Christ and his church. Fourth and last, abound in joy. Abound in joy. This is, this is a great and glorious way to live. And... They lived and they worshipped, the text says, with glad and generous or sincere hearts, praising God. The New English Bible translates this, unaffected joy. It was, it's not because life was so easy and everything, all the problems just disappeared and the, that day of Pentecost and now life was just, you know, coasting along and everything smooth sailing. No, but in, they had stuff. And in fact, they created new problems as they... Families were in conflict now as these new believers and, and many probably lost their jobs. And we see the persecution begin to arise. But there's, this, there's still this is just laughter and singing and praising and meals together and happiness. And this is what the church looked like. Uh, I know, I mean, I, I can be this way. I just get kind of gloomy and 
discouraged. And I'm not saying that that's inherently sinful, but if there's this marked unhappiness in your life, that's probably not a healthy sign. Does it look like somebody put vinegar in your coffee in the fellowship hall? And uh, I guess that would taste bad. I don't. I think coffee in itself is makes me want to, you know, vomit. So, um, but you just look dull and frustrated and unhappy. Um, we have reason to be glad, people. So, so what? What? what how, how? How? What's your devotion to the church? Are you, Are you devoted to the body of Christ? How would you define your relationship? I'm talking about the, Eric's doing the dating series with the youth. So all your dating questions just take to him. Uh, and all your complaints take to Pat. So I'm, I'm liking this. Uh, just shifting things out. And, um, but, but you talk about defining the relationship. What's, what's your relationship to Christ and to his church? Are you devoted? Are you steadfastly loyal? Are you committed? Are you moving as the church moves? And, or are you just kind of flirting? Not no serious commitments, just kind of testing the waters and like the marbles, just in and out. But this is not this this is not in any way intended to be any kind of scold. That's not the point. But I think this text it just is it's a mirror to hold it up for us today. And we we have as as a church we have a, a member covenant. And I realize everybody here is not members of the church, but if you are a member, you you this was part of that process is looking through the member covenant and. Our member covenant, it's not, a, it's not like a legalistic, legalistic set of man-made standards like we, these are all the things the elders want you to, have the way you, we want you to live. No, as, as, you, as we read through the covenant, as I'll, I'll read it and listen in a moment, you're going to hear it's just scripture. It's just these exhortations for how believers re- relate to one another in the church. We're just trying to put it in a, in a format that's succinct and we remind ourselves what we're committing ourselves to as we come to be part of the church. So these are exhortations as to how children should live in God's family, in the local church. And so I'm gonna, I just want to read the member covenant, and then we'll come to the table just as a way to stoke uh, thoughts in our own hearts as, and, again, to kind of see, recommit ourselves to devotion to the church together. But this is how it reads. Having been led by the Holy Spirit to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior and on profession of our faith in Him, having been baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and enabled by the Spirit to walk in righteousness, we most solemnly and joyfully affirm our covenant with one another as members of the local church called Baraka Bible Church, part of the one body of Christ. And then here are the commitments. First, we will actively pursue sanctification and holiness through our obedience to the Scriptures and our Lord Jesus Christ through faithful Bible reading and study, prayer, personal, family, and corporate worship, ministry to others, and witnessing to the lost. Second, we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but will faithfully participate in our church's worship, preaching, teaching, and prayer services. Third, we will use our talents and gifts for the service and edification of the body and be faithfully engaged in our church's ministries, humbly submitting to its leadership and obedience to Scripture. Fourth, we will walk together in humility and unity, encouraging, exhorting, admonishing, and serving one another in the spirit of brotherly love. We will remember one another in our prayers. We will aid each other in sickness and in distress. Fifth, 
We will cultivate grace, truth, and forbearance in our speech, promote unity, and be peacemakers with those in the body. Be slow to take offense. Be quick to confess sins and ask forgiveness. And always be ready for reconciliation, remembering our Savior's instructions to secure it without delay. Sixth, we will strive for the advancement of the Lord's church in knowledge, holiness, and comfort to promote its prosperity and spirituality, to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines, to give it sacred preeminence over all institutions of human origin. Seventh, we will give cheerfully and faithfully for the support of our church, the expenses of its ministry, and the spread of the gospel through all the nations. And last, we will seek to live carefully and walk circumspectly in the world, affirming what is good and deserving of honor, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, maintaining a good testimony before the world, to be just and righteous in our thoughts and actions, to exercise faithfulness in our relationships and commitments, to protect the innocent and those who are persecuted for Christ's sake, and to abstain from evil and all appearance of evil. This we covenant for the eternal glory of God the Father, Christ His Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, would you help us as a church, God, to resolve to remain devoted, consistently devoted to you, Christ, and to your people. And Father, we know our hearts. We know the, the areas where we, 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 we tend to uh, pull in away from others uh, in ourselves and, and, and get distracted from those mas- most basic priorities. And we as a church, we can be... We can be distracted by not bad things, good things, but lesser things, peripheral things, secondary things, and neglect the most critical primary um, priorities and distinguishing marks. And so help us as a church to be continually drawn back to the food and clothing uh, with which we need to give ourselves fully to. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.